Blog Talk Radio. Live from Washington, D.C., it's quintessential listening. Poetry Online Radio. QLPOR, as it's widely known, features a bevy of poets, spoken word artists, and live poetry readings with best-selling authors. Your host is Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Good evening, everyone. This is an episode of the podcast that many people have been waiting on. Tonight, I'll be joined by members past and present of the legendary poetry group, Collective Voices. Tonight, these members will celebrate the 25th anniversary of their triumphant trip to London, England in 1998. Tonight, these members will reminisce, share poetry, and answer questions about the trip and poetry in general. So please help me welcome to the program the founder, J. Joy, Sister Joy Matthews Alford, Sylvia Dine Beverly, Lady Di, Carolyn Jordan, Billy O'Cara, Renato Taylor, and Angela Wilson Turnbull. Welcome to the program, everyone. Thank you. I'm sure that we're all happy to be here. Yes. (laughs) Fantastic. We've got some other people signing in. Let's bring these people on the air. All right. I'm not sure how we'll know when Angela, Bernardo, and Billy come. Yes. Good evening. Area code 202-361. You're on the air. And your name, please. Carolyn Joyner. Hello, Carolyn. Welcome. (laughs) <laughs> Welcome. Thank Welcome. You. All right. I'm, I'm glad you're here. Fantastic. Let's bring on two others. Right. Area code 202-491. You're on the air. And your name is? Seth Washington. Okay. So you're listening to A the friend. program. All right. All right. Well, uh, thank you for being here, sir. All right. Let's try this last Thank one. Thank you. Area code three one three nine two zero. You're on the air, and your name is Sarlotta. I'm Angela's sister. All right. Well, welcome, welcome. So you're here to listen. Thank you so much. <laughs> All right. <laughs> sister Joy, or any of you actually, yeah. share with me information about Collective Voices. Tell me about the group. It's beginnings and where it is now. Well, I'm happy to share some, and I'm sure the other members would yes. care to do to respond as well. Uh, but uh, as the founder of the group, we came together in 1995 uh, as a sisterhood at that time of poets who were, well, interested in addressing the issues of the day, social consciousness issues, poetry, inspirational messages of poetry, motivational empowerment, and love. So we had a uh, a variety of voices that we did not want to be monolithic. We wanted to embrace the diversity that our voices represented. And uh, we began uh, with our very first experience of sharing poetry at 
what was then a women's shelter for uh, abused and homeless women, the House of Ruth, which I believe still exists today in Washington, D.C. And it was truly a phenomenal experience where we received as much as we gave. It was a blessed occasion. All right, very nice. Well, I need to ask, though, what what made you think of organizing or founding Collective Voices? What happened that made you say, hey, this is something we need to do. I need to start there. Yes. Absolutely. Okay, well, basically I had been a student of the poetry scene in Washington, D.C. for a while at that point, uh, and I was just so fascinated by the wonderful poetry that I was seeing and hearing. However, the majority of the poets were male. And they were a bit younger than myself. And it occurred to me that women my age, my generation, and uh, at least in the ballpark of my generation, could also have voices that deserve to be heard through poetry. And so I reached out to some sister poet friends of mine, and uh, that is that was the genesis of collective voices where, where mm-hmm. I felt that uh, there needed to be voices lifted that did not solely represent the male perspective or mm-hmm. the, uh, at that point, the younger generation. Um, but of course, re- younger generation is relative, you know, yes. <laughs> we're all young at heart. So, well, I didn't put myself <laughs> over the hill quite yet. <laughs> I need to ask one more question, though, Sister Joy. What do you think you've learned about yourself these last 25 years or more, being in this group, leading this group? Who are you as a consequence, a result of being in this group? Oh, my goodness. I I have found that I don't know nearly as much as I thought Mm -hmm. I did. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm blessed to have learned so much through not just the poetry, but the fellowship of poets. Um, we, we as poets tend to reflect on uh, spirituality, uh, social issues, uh, relationships, um, just uh, looking to see what is happening locally, nationally, and internationally, and sharing that through poetry. I have found that I, I just am um, uh, always looking to learn. Uh, I right. want to be and consider myself to be a lifelong learner. So Very that nice. allows me to stay active with my poetry. All right, Angela, tell me about your being in Collective Voices and what you've learned about yourself. Uh, sure. So I'm an early member of Collective Voices. Uh, I came into the group when um, I was living in Upper Northwest D.C. And we did uh, a lot of performances all over Washington uh, through relationships like um, that we had with uh, various events organizers with the Smithsonian. We were Janelle Cooper-Tolson, um, for example, who was an event coordinator with the Smithsonian, through a relationship with her. We were invited to do a performance at, uh, uh, with, with 
Sweet Honey in the Rock and Sonia Sanchez and, you know, other venues. Um, you know, it, it was a very exciting time. Um, it's your mug, Mr. Henry's. You know, we, we, we did um, cultural arts programs. We did um, poetry at protest rallies. Uh, we did um, so many things, uh, rooftop events, art galleries, schools, uh, you know, just tremendous amount of engagement. All right. It was a lot of fun. All right, all right, all right. What did you learn about yourself being in the group as a poet? What did I learn about myself being yes. in the group as a poet? One of the things that I loved um, so much, um, Carolyn and I took on, you know, I, I believe a more expanded creative role in incorporating um I believe with one of the performances, fabrics and, um, you know, splitting up our presentations and uh, choreographing things. Um, and it was, a, you know, it, it, we really, the whole group, we really put a lot of effort into um, our stage performances. And it was, you know, it was really tremendous. And I have a, I have a background in theater and mm-hmm. music. And so... I loved incorporating that in our work. Um, Another thing that I learned, um, you know, in in working in the sisterhood and, um, you know, just taking on uh, a deep understanding of the the walk that, that each of my sisters took through their work, you know, was a very intimate and moving experience and challenging as well. All right. Thank you so much. Lady Di, talk to me. What about you? Your thoughts on being in the group for this extended, long period of time, and what have you learned about yourself? I think these are important questions. Okay. Well, as far as the beginnings of Collective Voices, the first four of us were employees at the Federal Communications Commission. Sister Joy, Billy O'Cara, Margie, Margie Jones, who is deceased, and myself. We would get together on breaks and lunch, and it was poetry time. And we wrote poems and, and shared them with each other, and we just got excited about it. And one day we formed Collective Voices. That's my right. recollection. All right. And All right. we, our first, like Sister Joy said, our first performance was the House of Ruth. But on that night, we were so satisfied with the way that we were received at the House of Ruth that we went to Ellington's on Ace in North, in what else, Southeast D.C. and to an open mic. So we did two performances in one night for our first time performing for public. We were so excited. All right, all right. And what I learned about myself, well, it put more emphasis on it, is that I'm a leader. I'm a leader, and um, I'm not afraid. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to try. Like Angela said, she and Carolyn would have little um, different, you know, choreographs to bring attractiveness to the group before you even hear us speak. 
So it would be mm-hmm. our attire, uh, make our hair different. I wore makeup where people didn't even know that was me on stage, you know, because <laughs> right. I usually don't. So um, <clears throat> those were things that I learned that I could conform to what was going on. All right, very nice. But mostly, whatever was positive, I, I like that. I like All the right. energy of positivity. Very nice, very nice. Carolyn Jordan, talk to me. What about your experiences yeah. being in Collective Voices, and what did you learn about yourself? Okay. Well, I was fortunate enough to be one of the original five, and um, we came onto the scene when, in D.C., poetry was really on the rise. There were a lot of open mic places. Uh, it was an exciting time. And we were just anxious to share our um, our thoughts and voices um, with the public, and we just moved right in there. Uh, as Joy alluded to, we may have been a little older, but that's okay. We we did. It. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I like that. <laughs> we did it and we enjoyed it. And I have um, it's 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 certainly I had come to the group after being a technical writer for many mm-hmm. years in federal government and, and, and had been interested in creative writing and decided that, yes, this is really my passion and I'd like to um, pursue this, you know, formally. And that's, that's, that's what I basically did. You know, mm-hmm. I decided mm-hmm. in my career in government and go into creative writing. So that's, All right. that's basically All right. what I did. And what mm-hmm. I learned from the group, um, well, I, I learned actually how important it was for us to, uh, for me to um, read the works of other poets and, 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 and be exposed to different kinds of writing and, um, it, it, because it 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 gives you insight into where it is you want to go and what it is you want to do, and um, also the travel thing because we did go to London in the late yes. 90s, and um, I think the travel is very important too because of the experiences that you uh, you know glean from from travel, and we were able to be in Brixton, uh, a unique <clears throat> community sub culture community in uh, London, and uh, it was Women's Day, International Women's Day, and the poets were so fierce and so in in your face with their writing, and that was, um, even though we've been exposed to some of that here, that was uh, very enlightening and and good to see, and, um, you know, we were trying to figure out, well, hey, you know, maybe I want to consider, you know, that approach in my presentation, but you know, it was that kind of thing. So, all right, mm-hmm. thank you, thank you. Let's see if we can bring some other members in. Hold on one second here. All right, area code two four zero. The first three numbers are four six zero. You're on the air. This is Michael, and your name is. I am Bernardo. I am the sing song poet. I stand heroic without a cape. <laughs> All right. Welcome, Bernardo. <laughs> Bernardo Taylor, everyone. All right. Yes, sir. How All are right. You? I'm quite well in yourself. 
I'm good, man. It's been a minute, though, because I was sitting here listening to the broadcast online, and mm-hmm. it didn't dawn on me I needed to call you so I could get in. That's <laughs> <laughs> all right. You're here. That's the most important thing. Let me bring this next person in. Let's see. Area code 302. The first three numbers of 510. You're on the air. My name is Michael, and you are? I'm Fritz. Hello. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Oh, good. <laughs> this is my first so, time. I was, in, <laughs> I was invited by Angela. I'm grateful. Okay. To, okay. Uh, All right, then. Be so you're here to listen. All right. Fantastic. I'm yes. glad you're here. All right. Well, Bernardo, we were talking about being in collective voices, your thoughts on being in the group, as well as what do you think you've learned about yourself since you've been in the group? These are important foundational questions, I believe. I agree, Mike. I was listening to the ladies earlier. Um, what do I think? Uh, I think it's great. <laughs> um, it's a wonderful. It, they, they, by the time I got to the group, Mike, it was already a wonderful foundation. Um, like I've said before, um, they were rock stars when I met them. You know, <laughs> I, I, I was I was one of those guys coming out of the, coming out of. Uh, um, Coming out of dreamland, thinking I was going to do something with this 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 gift I have of writing, and mm-hmm. I started being introduced to people who took me around to different places, and uh, and in those little um, open mic spots, people would be talking about the next spot to go to and the next spot to go to, and finally they said something about a spot that was at a museum, and I walk in and there's these ladies on stage like you know uh, Beyonce and them, you know. Uh, uh, in Vogue or somebody, they just striking a pose and then they coming out of the pose to go into poetry. It was like, wow, what are you doing? You know? So coming into this group was um, it was it was a it was a journey. Basically, I uh, after seeing them on stage, I could never get their attention. They had too many people around them. They were they was like rock stars, man. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, a mutual friend of ours, a uh, lady. Um, Grandma Slam, uh, a poet I met on the scene uh, who had a uh, – she used to do a, a poet gathering at her house and with, with soup and, and, and bread and conversation. And uh, at one of these gatherings, I, saw, I met Lady Di and I met Sister Joy. And we talked, and, and Grandma had us go a little round robin with some poetry, and I started doing some poetry I was doing. And uh, my, the, my sisters just was like, wow. That's that's nice. Well, who are you and where you been and what's going on? And and I told them and um, I got invited out to a couple of things they were doing. And eventually I, I got invited to the to the big stage at uh, Poetry Extravaganza. I did that for about three to three to five years. And um, one day out of the blue, um, the group had dwindled down a little bit. The last two people standing were uh, Sister Joy and Lady Di. Mm-hmm. And they said they wanted to, to flesh it out a little bit more, and they both were thinking of one name, and it was mine. So mm. I think uh, that really that really surprised me because there there are some really astounding talents in the Washington D.C. area, mm-hmm. um, male and female. So for me, it's a very special thing. I don't think it not only speaks to talent; it speaks to a special connection, a friendship, a loyalty. You know, we traveled together and done some things. And um, what I've learned about myself is that um, that I'm good, you know. 
a lot of times I would meet my male counterparts who would tell me, brother, you beast, you're fierce, you're fierce man. But uh, <laughs> they never called me for an opportunity whenever they got an accident. Right? So I felt like these ladies nurtured me. They saw something in me. They brought me on. And um, what I've learned is how to be in relationship-wise to even women, you know, because I, I, what I feel is that um, – that this is a male-dominated world. Um, yes, it is. Uh, women catch uh, catch uh, catch some some really tough breaks sometimes, and mm-hmm. um, I need to come in this group. I need to be sensitive to that. Uh, I can't come in there hard charging, and I'm gonna take over. Even though I'm I'm very gifted with vision. I, I, I see things a certain way, and and this was the kind of group that you bring that kind of that kind of uh, activity to, because they already had they already had that presence when I got there. Uh, so I just had to tone down some of my ideas and listen to some of their ideas, and then we we would hash it out back and forth and, and come up with a with a nice uh, piece of the resistance at the at the end of everything. So and we learned to I learned to pray, but not really learn to pray, uh, but I guess maybe learn to pray within a group because now I was part of a group, and we would come in and our, and, our, and our poetic egos would clash or our presentations or a desire to be heard would be like urging each one to present where they were and how they were standing, then we needed to invite God in the conversation. And that's what we would do. We would stop, we would pray, and, and then everybody would hear, God would hear, she mm. would hear, I would hear, and then we were able to, to calm everything down and, and get to a beautiful place. Wow. Like I said, you're a legendary group. Legendary, and your reputation is stellar, and that's very important. Now, we're going to keep going here, but I want to hear from Angela again in terms of how this trip to London came about, because you're right, International Women's Day is March 8th. So tell me more, Angela. Tell me about this trip. How did this come about? Absolutely. I love sharing the story. Um, I think it's so important for others to know so a dear friend, uh, Beverly East, who's a graphologist and writer from London, England, uh, invited me the year before uh, to come to the International Women's Conference that her dear friend, uh, Tony Fairweather, was organizing. And I had an opportunity to attend the conference and meet you know, writers from around the world, and it was extraordinary. And um, the following year, Tony Fairweather happened to be in Washington the same weekend that Sankofa uh, Film and Bookstore was being opened. It was the big opening with um, Hakeem Mataboudi and Sonia Sanchez and Collective Voices was asked to participate in that. Uh, Sankofa was owned by Haile Garima and Shrikiana and we did um, an amazing performance, and uh, I remember Carolyn and I, um, a piece for Hakeem Marabudi that we've called Change, we, I believe we closed with it, and Tony ran up, he was like, oh my gosh, you guys are so fantastic, you must come to London, you know, and be a part of my uh, my conference, the International Women's Conference, and I was like, well, can can all of us come, you know? <laughs> and then um, we had other writers. I was the PR and marketing director with Black Words, Kwame Alexander's publishing company at the time. And I was like, you know, we had other writers. Um, it's like, can we just bring the whole, you know, community? And so it was 
it was really extraordinary. Al- Alfred French, who was a good friend of August Wilson, uh, sponsored uh, our professional press kit uh, that was put together, and Kwame Alexander uh, developed that for us. And um, it, it was just an extraordinary uh, experience. And we, we came and we had an opportunity to perform uh, at Brixton Academy, at the Lewisham Theater. Uh, there were 2,000 people there in our performance. Uh, we did a tribute to the Harlem Renaissance writers and black arts movement writers. We were uh, dressed in 60s attire, and we received a standing ovation like no other. Uh, they asked for an encore. We had only performed, you know, prepared our... <laughs> choreographed performance and it, it was just it was tremendous I know for me looking out and seeing a sea of black people and receiving that type of reception and, and there was a huge after party and you know the um, the author of Precious you know the film uh, yes. is based on her book she was mm-hmm. there doing reading at the International Women's Conference with us, along with other writers from all over the world. So it was an extraordinary um, experience and opportunity. Very nice. Thank you so much. I want to give anyone else any, an opportunity to share any quick insights, and then we're going to move into your poetry. The reason that people are here is to hear your words. So anyone else in terms of your thoughts about being in London during that time? Well, I want this is Lady Di. I wanted to yes. say that just walking into the Lewisham Theater, I was extremely excited because Dr. Maya Angelou's picture was hanging over the vestibule. And mm-hmm. it was a soul picture, no other photos or anything. It was a picture of her. And I had read so many of her memoirs that she had performed on that stage, and I was getting ready to perform on the same stage that Dr. Maya Angelou had performed on so that was super exciting to me. But there was right. a lot of right. different little, uh, many okay. entities of excitement. Very nice. Very <laughs> nice. <laughs> and one Someone thing else. I always remember yes. when I see a full moon is that I saw a full moon in London one night when Sister Joy and I were walking down the street. <laughs> and I looked up at the moon and said, is that the same moon that my family's looking at? Oh, wow. So. The people in Japan, are they looking at that full moon? That's a good question. All right. Yeah. All right. Thank you. (laughs) Carolyn, Sister Sister Joy. Yes. Hi. Yes, this is Sister Joy. I I would simply like to add just this to um, the wonderful uh, sisterhood that uh, Lady Di and I shared while in London, in addition to uh, tender moments like the reflecting of the moon and the question about, uh, you know, other parts of the world. But uh, that was when I came to know how very much, how very close she was with her family, because mm-hmm. even in the midst of all the excitement and all the wonderful <laughs> reception that we were receiving, she was heartfelt homesick for the entire duration of being in love. <laughs> I just 
I thought she was at first going to get over it. I thought this was not real. It was absolutely real. She is so connected with family, and that was something I learned about Lady Di uh, overseas. All right. Very nice. Very nice. I had fun all day and cried and cried at night. All right. Okay. Bring us on, Carolyn. Tell us, tell us about your experience being there. Well, Mike, it, it was wonderful. I mean, I had never been to London before. So, first of all, I got a chance to see a bit of London, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, as I said, we were immersed in uh, a, a community that was just so creative and active on the scene, on the artist scene of, 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 pre, of, of presenting their positions and their voices, which was critical because a lot of them were from uh, Caribbean countries and, and, and uh, uh, even African Africa, uh, African countries, and it was in that was just you know it was like a, a small slice of the pie of London because we know London is British, and their um, perception of how things were, and then ours of how things are were here. Um, we just you know we were able to to ha- breach the gap of uh, you know just. Uh, uh, you know, um, I guess broke the gap, the gap of, of 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 what it was wherever you were. In other words, there were some global common concerns that mm-hmm. we discovered, and mm-hmm. um, I, I just I enjoyed it, and I also enjoyed um, seeing London and putting some things in perspective. That you know, you, it's one thing to see uh, photographs and and read narratives and history and all that, but it's another thing to actually see it in person. And all of those things together, I think, um, move to broaden your insight and your understanding and your experiences so that you are able to to do a a, a much deeper form of writing, actually, you know? Yes. Um, So I, I enjoyed it very much, yeah. All right. Very nice. Very nice. Uh, Thank you. Yes. Michael, uh, this is Mr. Joy again. I wanted to touch on what Carolyn just mentioned, and that is putting things in perspective from Mm -hmm. an international vantage point. Um, Mm -hmm. Sometimes we here in this country, which is relatively speaking a new kid on the block when it comes to some of the – you know, countries of the world, nations of the world. And uh, certainly as we were in London, one of the things that came to my uh, attention was how everything was so old. You know, the buildings and the roads and everything was stone and gray and just uh, they had been there for hundreds and thousands of years. Even uh, Mm -hmm. when I made my trek to, to France while I was over there to Paris, uh, the the landscape is littered with buildings that are just ancient by standards of what we have in this country. And they don't tear them down because they're old. They revere them and, and, mm-hmm. and celebrate the, the you know, anti- antiquity of what they have. And that's one mm-hmm. of the differences of what we do in this country 
uh, we certainly in the nation's capital, the uh, the skyline is littered with uh, cranes. You know, always buildings coming up and buildings coming down. It's the virtual perpetual employment of the of the citizens. So that's one of the differences that uh, affected to me the society as a whole. There's a stability that is anchored in the ancient and uh, very aged. Uh, buildings and community that is there. We don't have that in this country. I agree. I and another thing, yes, please, please. I just yeah. wanted to add, this is Angela Wilson-Turnbull. One of the things that struck me um, in my first trip to London and then uh, that second trip where we were all together was the enormous amount of financial resources and priority uh, the country gave to artists. Artists were revered they were compensated, they were paid generously for their performances, and it, it really uh, enhanced my um, keen interest in us, you know, negotiating uh, and coming back, you know, for, you know, higher compensation, you know, not just accepting, you know, gratis performances, and it really elevated... Um, just the, the possibility of professional um, artistry and the value of what we were contributing. So I just wow. wanted to share that as well. And I, and I had an opportunity to record a CD with Radiant Productions called Girlfriend with a series of other writers. That was just an extraordinary experience. So thank nice. you. Yes. You know, I was thinking that so often people in America feel as if we're the only ones in the world. But there's no one else out there. And it's always right. on the highway. And it's not like that. Yeah. It's not like that. It's truly not like that. So I want to yeah. thank all of you for sharing. You know, for those who are just joining, Collective Voices is a Washington-based ensemble of poets known for its messages of inspiration, empowerment, and social consciousness. Now it's time to hear the voices of Collective Voices share their work. I'd like to start with Lady Di. Please share a piece. Thank you so much, Dr. Ingram. My first point, commit ourselves. Let's go back. Let's go way back. Back to basics. Back to ideas and struggles of our ancestors, like Sojourner Truth, Fannie Lou Hamer, Harriet Tubman, Frederick Douglass, Hardy G. Woodson, Dr. Maya Angelou, and last but not least, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. Dr. King says we must commit ourselves to noble struggle for equal rights. We will be better as people, better as a country, better as a world. Let us commit to the word of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I dream, I dream of hope and focus, people being hired and promoted on their talent and abilities, not according to race. All communities will have excellent maintenance and securities 
and neighborhoods. All children will have same opportunities to receive higher education. Each of us should join in support or form a cause or movement for betterment of all people. Unify for strength with noble recognition of our Black History Month colors. Red is color of blood, still shed for liberty. Black is color for our distinguished race. Green is color of luxurious vegetation of our motherland. We must continue to celebrate time set aside for our race. We must celebrate with and educate our youth about righteousness of our people. Oh, let's help make our children's dreams come true. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Powerful words. Wow. Carolyn Joyner, please share, Paul. Okay. Um, This poem is entitled Alto Moon Choirs. And, excuse me, it's it's done in like five parts, okay? The first is, and I must say, spoiler alert, there is some language from the cops that were documented using on their radios <clears throat> that it may be a little unpleasant. Altamont Choirs. One, the hammers cocked on roads ahead, cops be singing. Let's shoot a nigga tonight. Gorilla in the mist, gorilla in the mist. Big Mama's pipe-scratched voice turns up the loudness. There's chains, child, and there's other kinds of chains. Eyes in slits, she declares. No matter you can't see them, they's always there. Memory waves its swollen flag. Boy warriors hunting in the bush. Uncle Carver, Cousin Annie Mae recaptured, sold back. Freddy Boy's crime, living while black. His only crime living while black Riding Agon winds Coughs from Guinea Gulf ports Tracking the bond gold dust Through time dead centuries Across today's pockmarked cheek Separated by reaches Currents of the dead In the living Sweet Jamaican cockpits Gullah Sea Islands Muddy Mississippi River beds East Baltimore ghettos Roll and break cross separate and unequal ground. Return Kula, Olada, Ida B, Fannie Lou, Maladoma ghostings. Alto moon choirs to sing. Ain't gonna let nobody turn me round songs in backs and thighs. Trees by the water never to be moved. They're not moving in the moving. Three. They're not movings in the moving. Night, the south. North, too. East, west. Blue skin legs catch shango fire. Forge treetop highways over palm and oak. Sycamore make air speak staccato. Metal still runs feet forward. Knows no jump back. Step aside. Ibibio alongside Igbo. Shamba side Fonte. House side field. Suits. Side, jumper jackets, pump, pound, curious 
patterns into dark of light at history's clay-covered edges. Juba advanced them to its center. With Ogun's machete, they make way through bitter men, bitter men, crafted knots, Jim and Jane Crow's de facto de jure cops singing, gorilla in the mist, gorilla in the mist, the hammers popped on rows <clears throat> below for the hammers cocked on rows below. Say the hammers sure enough cocked on rows below. Mr. Charlie got his hands in my pockets. Can't pay my dues to life no more. Fingers claw with no mercy till nothing's left to adore. Charlie claws with no mercy. Ain't nothing left to adore. Don't need seven coals round my neck. Been hanged by his hang-ups. The who in me's down pressed to the floor. Can't sit in soul seat. Say can't sit in my own soul seat. Tap out its rhythm, rock its hoodoo beat. Used to pay my dues to life, still have change to spare. But I've been hoodwinked out of my nationhood. This is too much for me to bear. Gonna find me some clothes without pockets. Clothes the man can't get his hands in. Say, I'm going to find me some clothes without pockets the man can't get his hands in so I can be the self I am instead of the one I've been. Good Lord willing, I can be born again. A born-again African. That's right. A born-again African. Five. A born-again African keep on a-walking past trees with gouged eye garnish, Tallahatchie's elephantine foot, a Texas head left for buzzards, nightsticks crushed larynx, broken spine. Keep on a-talking on up to freedom land. Oya exhales leaping Africans into agoon winds, returns the dead to the living. Fear scatters its teeth like milkweed. Oh, Mary, don't you weep. Tell Martha not to mourn. Thank you. Thank you. Wonderful piece. Wonderful piece. Thank you. Bernardo Taylor, please share, Paul. Yes. Excellent piece there, Carolyn. I really, I really like that. Thank you. Um, wow. A little taken off. I thought I was out of order, but I'm, I'll go with the flow because that's what I do. Um, this piece I want to do is called The Collective. Um, it's written um, in regards to collective voices being invited by uh, Grace Cavallari, who is now the poet laureate of uh, Maryland. Uh, she was had invited to. She had written a, a piece, a con, concerto, a poetic concerto, if you will, a poets from many different nations to come together at the Italian Embassy to uh, speak on the subject of voice as bridge, and, and collective voices was invited. And so the three of us sat down and started, you know, brainstorming about what we would do. And because we had been working together so long, we had, we got an initial idea of what we wanted to do as a choral piece. 
And then we went away our separate ways and wrote our piece. And we came back together. And this is what came out of that. We are the collective. But we each have our own perspective. As a poet who knows it, this is reflected in the acronym of P-O-E-T, poem maker, orator, educator, troubadour. I am all of these and more. I travel the world all over the place that I might gather vibrant flowers to put into my vase. I have been to Barcelona, Okinawa, Rio, Rome. Everywhere I go, I find I'm home. You see, my father's house has many mansions, many living rooms that I might stand in. Here and there, I see the word, how it serves to ensure that each one of us is heard. Habarigani is Swahili for what's the news, and every day we choose a lens through which we form our point of view. Words like refugee and family and terrorist emerge. How are they spoken? How are they observed? We are the architects of artifacts, the voices that build bridges based on what we think and feel. We track the facts. Imparting impact stacked upon a faith-filled foundation, we are the hunters, the gatherers, dispensers, and this demands our dedication. Voice as implement, voice as instrument, voice as portal, voice as bridge. We are the surveyors, the purveyors, the soothsayers of the time in which we live. We are the collective, she, she, me, and we, nois amo il colectivo. We are the collective. End poem. Wow. Incredible. Thank you. Incredible. And I want to thank you as well. I've been sitting here smiling from ear to ear. So glad that your group allowed me to be a part of this celebration. But I forgot to order. I forgot all about it. <laughs> so <laughs> please forgive me. <laughs> I'll do better next time. Sister Joy, please share a poem. Hello, I'm happy to do so. And actually, I'm going to follow Bernardo's lead. I'm going to follow Bernardo's lead and share um, a poem that I wrote as an offering at that same presentation at the Italian embassy at the invitation of Grace Cavallari, the then uh, the uh, poet laureate for the state of Maryland. And my poem is titled Voice as Bridge, <clears throat> Voice as a Bridge. And uh, it's in two parts. Ours is a world on pause where breathing does not come easy. Like morality, reality seems suspended. But then, even in times of interim, pendulums do swing. Laws of inequality divide and subdue. Lessons of Sankofa have taught us politics over personhood is not new, is no mathematical flaw and remains the design of the day. So we lift prayers on wings of faith, which carry us through this divisive chaos, holding us captive. Nor are the captors free, for such rigidity is not discerning of identity. 
sentry and detainee are equally confined. Erected walls could fall. Unsound foundations crumble quickly. With ignorance and arrogance in such abundance, what better commodity to conquer bigotry? So let us turn our attention and our being, building bridges, lifting our song to life with voices that travel over walls at light speed. Breathe deep our sacred breath of word. Let its power be felt and heard by those languishing souls yearning for relief. With such, with each exhale, we break tyranny's yoke, inviting and invoking freedom, both in holding cell and sanctuary city. And amidst all the strange sister tongues that sound so hauntingly familiar, pray while crossing bridges built to connect souls and save humanity. Two, sound, profane or profound, resonates, reverberates throughout our psyche, affecting us, connecting us to choices, influencing our voice, creating our own personal cosmos. Beyond sound, even beyond word, voice tells our story, uniting or dividing, freeing or confining. Which mode does your soul claim as home? Voice reveals our history, unveils our mystery, testifying through tone, precipitating from perception's cloud, erupting from vaults once shrouded in silence, This is where voice is born. Voice makes us not just hear, but see reality with our third eye. Possibility come to life. It is the thread woven from thought, dream, faith, even scheme, exposing that first flicker of truth or deceit that comes when silence is broken. Voice is precious, not to be wasted, used trivially nor hastily, for voice has no undoing. Sound is his sister, thought his master, manifestations made real through immutable utterance of victory or disaster is power in the tongue. Once released, voice can bind or shatter, but can best be found when bound to love. Claiming calm, comfort, connection. This is when voice has power beyond words. Speaks loudest of all not when heard, but felt in hearts. It is then 
This is when voice truly becomes bridge. Thank you. That poem is deeply, deeply moving as well as rich in terms of just, it made me think. It made me move outside myself. So thank you. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thank you. Yes. Angela Wilson Turnbull, please share a poem. Thank you so much. Uh, My grandmother, Ruby Duport Jenkins, pianist from Harlem, when uh, Juilliard was a traveling school back in the early 1900s, she was a a student teacher as a young uh, pianist. And I wrote this piece inspired by her. And I would like to dedicate it to my precious, my most precious sister, Charlotta Popola. From Ascania Steamship in St. Kitts, through Ellis Island's accounting, to Black Harlem, New York, in early 1923, summer hot unknown to my three-year-old immigrant grand, a trembling, anxious little one. Grandma Ruby carried her mother Amatrude Bridgewater's recipes in her left, in her smug and snug, her cinnamon cotton dress. She now pulls these delicacies from her memory, handed down through generations from Mozambique. When we walked into her house on Yellowstone in Collingwood, a small silver-gray home surrounded by tall cotton tails bending in the wind, her arms wrapped us into folds of classical music and fingers of prodigy from Juilliard. Moving closer to her kitchen, steaming hot pan-fried cornbread and fresh cook-up made of seasoned rice and beans with vegetables and sometimes chicken infused our nostrils and we salivated for samples. The runs to Eastern Market for bushels of mango, orange, fresh veggies. She sometimes prepared goat water savory soup of yam, boiled dumplings, potato, garlic, thyme, cloves, onions, fresh herbs, seasonings, and goat meat for us to sip slowly, allowing the warm water to trickle and tickle our throats with nourishment from Nanny's island home and her coconut candy. Mmm. Formed from freshly shredded coconuts cracked wide on the earth. Smothered in brown sugar water, crystallized ginger boiled and filled the air with sweet Caribbean essence. Dropped on wax paper to cool, burning our tiny fingers to touch too soon, unable to wait for the soft, creamy coconut castles to melt like heaven, tingling 
tongue for Nanny. Thank you. Wow. <laughs> that took me back to my roots as well. <laughs> wow. That was very touching. You know, as I listen to all of you, as I listen to all of you, there's something special about about each one of your voices. There's something special. There's something special about the message that you're sharing, the collective messages that you're sharing. So what I want to know, and anyone can answer this, what makes poetry so significant in today's world? Why is it important? I need to know. Somebody talk to me. It's Bernardo. Mm-hmm. I think one of the reasons why it's important is because um, the news media and social media, media in general, it became, in a young America, there used to be a guy that walked through the town at night ringing a bell. It's 9 o'clock and all is well. It's 10 o'clock and all is well. It's called a town crier. But America's problem today is all their town criers, many of their town criers, I should say, are liars. So you could be sitting there watching January 6th on, on television on one channel, flip another channel, they talk about something totally different, like it's not even news. So we poets, we are the underground voices. We are the ones who dare, and he talked about collective voices, what you heard in, our, in, the, in these stories that were said tonight, Carolyn's piece, um, about the police chatter, mm-hmm. Joy's piece, uh, the hidden stuff that's spoken about, how voices are silenced. There is this lack of information coming to the people. Some of these stations, I don't even call them news stations anymore because what they're saying ain't news. What they're saying is not newsworthy. It's just information. It's propaganda. So that is why I believe that poetry is important to this generation. All right. All right. Anyone else? Talk to me. I want to know, what are your thoughts? You're an incredible collective of people. Yes. Sister Joy here. I I just want to say that as poets, we bear a responsibility, and that is that we are the truth tellers. True, not every every poem has to be based in fact, Mm -hmm. but as poets, you're sharing your inner voice your truth about whatever the topic is. And so many times there is purposefully information shared from other sources that not only is it not truth, it's information intended to quell truth. Mm -hmm. And that creates an urgency for poetry. Wow. Anyone else tell me? Why is it important that we do what we do when we do it? Why is that important? Why is poetry important? Somebody talk to me. Dr. Ingram, this is Lady yes, Di. Mm-hmm. And you know, they call me the love poet, and I just think that love is the key to making things be feel good, making things um, more peaceful and pleasant. And... Um, I wanted to, I didn't know how much time we had. Um, we're fine. We we're going to do fine. another, another okay. round robin, but I yes. have a love poem that I, that I wanted to share. And is, is this okay to do it now? Yes, please. Go ahead. No problem. 
I wrote this for today. Um, it's called an elder's love poem. For the most part, we all are elders. Some are a little shy of being, getting there, but we're elders. Mm-hmm. I write this love poem for you, darling. A love poem with strains of romantic heartbeats fills my lonely heart with flaming heat. You seem to no longer love me like I long for you to. I hoped our love would be forever. Perhaps it still is just a slice of romance has slipped away. I keep you as a poem in my heart. Stanza after stanza, we are linked together, never to part. If you did not love me, would you do for me all you do? Would you spend daily hours with me the way you do? My love for you longs for youthful romance. Let's go back to those days and give romance a chance. That's my point. It's beautiful. I think we need to just keep love in our hearts on a daily basis. All right. right. Ease out everything else. Yes. Sister Joy, please share a poem. Hello? Can anyone hear me? (laughs) I apologize. I I had my phone on mute. I apologize for that. I was talking and realized, oh, my. Okay. I thought it was me. (laughs) No, no. I thought it was me. (laughs) All right. Okay. (laughs) I will start again. Okay. So this is a poem that... I wrote it initially for my granddaughter. However, as we poets often do, through edit and revision, it has now come to represent a broader audience. So uh, it's titled, Step, Reach, Climb, Claim. My granddaughter, by the way, is a dancer. As a matter of fact, this weekend she's going down to Spelman College for the tour. Step, climb, claim. Bright with tomorrow's promise burgeoning within you, dust will rise from your powerful stride. So step graceful, sure-footed, proud, and strong. History has waited long to hand you her keys, asking only that you remain true to the knowledge and honor handed you, asking that you step into your tomorrow, embracing and honoring dream and foundation of each elder and ancestor that sacrificed, prayed, made ways for your dance. So yes, stride, sway, graceful, proud as the willow with its deep roots, nourished by life, her sunshine and her storms. Remain strong in your conviction honoring those who will follow you for each step connects them and you to ancestors 
who knew somehow this day would come. Even then, they celebrated and prayed, as do we, those who now step back and witness with awe as you step, reach, climb, and claim your destiny. For Jordan. Wow. You know, I had a conversation with a young man earlier today, and he said, what did your generation do for us? Mm. <laughs> wow. Joy, your poem answered that, oh. answered that question. <laughs> yes. I hope he's listening. I, I hope he's listening. Like, I hope. I truly hope he is. Yes. I do, too, because <laughs> your poem answers that question perfectly. All right. Ms. Joyner, please share a poem. Hi, yes. I'd like to share a poem entitled Facade. I grew up in the South, black belt of the South, as a matter of fact. Um, days of segregation, and it's still segregated there in my little town. But um, <clears throat> the, there's an epigram at the beginning of the poem that quotes a phrase from Paul Lawrence Dunbar, and that is, we wear the mask that grins and lies, etc., etc. Facade. Like the books I claim to have read but refused to check out because the white librarian who answered the bell I had to ring in the tiny room for colored suggested that I read them. I told her I'd read them already, wanted something other than Uncle Tom's Cabin and the Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. So I never read these classics. But I'm convinced that I have because everybody else has and everybody believes I have because I believe it. My lying becomes truthing. An incredibly credible act I put on like the fun times I had pretending to my Jersey cousins that I'd seen the same movies they had when black folk had shut down the only movie house in town by staying away. We decided the big screen was no trade-off for stuffing ourselves in the buzzard's roost while 10 whites had free reign over 500 seats downstairs. I saw lots of movies on the screen fixed in the center of my head. There was a screen in the center of my head was a screen. Reels spun by Richmond Times Dispatch movie critics projected shows there. 20th Century Fox Spotlight swept my retinas, melted mind's eye darkness. Let me witness stunning recreations of a shattered Rome, the asp fangs piercing Cleopatra's terracotta flesh. I cringed at Hitchcock's horror of birds plucking a heroine's eyes, cheered Little Richard's high-pitched shrieks, and Bo Diddley right out of his shoes proclaimed Jimmy Dean and Marlon Brando fine by anyone's standards. My cousins just knew that I'd seen these movies, and I believed I had because they believed I did. And this was my truth. 
demonstrated fact, <coughs> demonstrated fact, I began to act on at at pool parties, where I'd sit at the deep end of water's edge, bone up on my freestyle with practice kicks, while watching pretty people glide, float, butterfly stroke their way to a good time. They don't push me to get in. Figure I have my reasons for hanging at poolside, none being that I can't swim, because everybody can. Therefore, I can. And I believe what they believe because I made them believe it. I learned to swim when I was eight years old in my hometown, Lawrenceville, Virginia, at the local swimming hole, peeking through the fence around it, beating the air with skinny-armed breaststrokes, holding my breath next to the for whites only sign when I felt like I was going under. Thank you. Wow. Hmm. Exquisite piece. Oh, all right. <laughs> Mr. Taylor, please share a piece. Thank you, sir. All I can say is wow. Mm-hmm. It's only because I know who I am that I, that I feel I can follow Carolyn, you know. And that's not to say that even one of us is better than the other. It's just to say that I have confidence in who I am. And the confidence in who I am say that I'm where I'm at. But it also gives me the ability to acknowledge that was an exquisite piece. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. So, so I was going to do uh, something else, but I think after listening to the, the flow of my, of my sisters, like I said, they all, they've always been a source of inspiration for me. I wanted to do a bit more serious piece, and this piece is called Following. I stopped following her ever since I heard of Nigger Jim. Being unsure of what happened to him, maybe I should Google or ask Suri or Alexa was Huckleberry Finn an abolitionist? Did he protect the secret of where Jim was? Sometimes a secondary character becomes too much for one to ignore. A book can make you look into the time and place embraced and yearn for more information. We all come to these vehicles with different destinations, more than these temporary stops or sparks to disembark. Harken by some clue to move on, we do. I stopped following her ever since I learned of them washed up on the shore, dashed against the rocks in shock that the sweetness they imagined, the beacon of freedom fashioned in song, presented so pure was no more than illusion, calculated conjecture. There was no perfection awaiting a place for their dreams, were they able to scream, I wonder, when the waves took them under, or when they opened their mouths for their griefs to swarm out, then awaken to doubt and conclusion, their hope there would find no solution, no release? Were they able to perish in peace? I stopped following her along the road, at least, as the barking of dogs did increase. 
I heard you could wash clean your scent in the water, so that's where I went. Slowly, so slowly to avoid the sound of splashing. My ankles, my calves, my knees, my thighs, my waist, my chest, my shoulders, up to the base of my eyes that I go slow, 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 slow. Though my heart moved much faster, mastering my breath, I motioned my arms to move on, remembering tales of the river's song, baptism and cleansing and ships, and too far I'd gone into memory as I then remembered the whips, the chains, the stench. These images raged as I fought with the waves to continue. The ache made its way through muscle, through lungs, into sinews. And just as I began to slip, slip, slip away, I saw him. Let's call him Jim. On a raft, he whispered, you must mask your fear to clear your mind so you survive. And due to him, I am alive. And though he was illusioned, in my moments of confusion, he called clearly unto me, you are free. The river calmed. I heard the song and swam and came to be. Who's not you? Wow. You know, I was thinking as I listened to your voice and I was thinking, what is it about his voice that moves me so, and I realize is that it's your level of intestinal fortitude to not only survive, but to thrive in this world. Mm. Mm. It takes one to know one, Dr. Ingram. <laughs> well, appreciate that, brother. <laughs> Mr. Turnbull, please share, fool. Thank you so much, Dr. Ingram. I'd like to address also the question you asked about our role as poets. And for me, uh, we're storytellers, we're disruptors. We capture the hidden truths we evoke um, and activate creativity. We remind ourselves and others of who we are, where we've come from, and we preserve and promote our greatness and genius as a people. And I'd like to dedicate this piece to my beloved Aunt Erlene Wilson Morgan and the women who have shaped me like my dear friend, the Fritz, who's on this line, in celebration of Women's History Month. This piece, it was inspired by my dear Auntie Marg, and it's entitled Designer's Dance. Master seamstress in Harlem held court first in Chinese laundry. Now on her own clock, she designed and sewed couture fashions in the 1950s. Silk cut by tiny, nimble hands, Stefan 
sculpted, close, suckling her model's black skin like a lover's embrace. She was paid in cash for her unique, one-of-a-kind, sewn-to-order boutique dresses, shimmery black magical magenta, mischievous mixed fabrics, blended furs, cashmere, and leather. Orders flowed in overwhelming from the Upper East and West Side, the Bronx, Queens, New Rochelle, and up north in the Hampstead. Even specialty wedding gowns for new brides in Charleston, South Carolina, and out from James Island, even. This Gullah girl, Marguerite Wilson Martin, was so gifted, white clients placed orders a full year in advance for balls, bar mitzvahs, anniversaries, cabarets, awards, dinners, theater, openings, opera, film screenings, red carpet events, open and closed parties, receptions, fundraisers, and even for death. From dignitaries to her own mama, Ida, final gown she stitched by hand stitch by hand for her devoted mother picking out her favorite lilac floral print cutting out a purple jacket with silk nestled flowers at the lapel she added pearls at her mother's neck reminding herself of the wealth amassed from humble beginnings on the Cherokee Island Reservation. The matching earrings reminded her, too, of the day her Papa John went to fetch Mama from the boarding house that loaned abandoned young girls and women out for hire as maids and cooks and seamstresses, gardeners, bakers, nursemaids, surrogates. Nannies, tutors, baby makers, even managers over small and larger things like grocery shopping to decorating entire estates and plantations. Women's work creates foundations for all humanity. Let us dress for Auntie Mark. Thank you. That was an epic work. Thank you. Before we move into the final round, I would like to ask this question, and anyone can answer, all of you actually. It's been 25 years since London. What did you talk about? What were some of the themes 25 years ago? What do you talk about now? And is the, is there, is the urgency different now? than it was 25 years ago. So are the things the same? Somebody talk to me. This is Sister Joy. Yes, ma'am. I will reflect uh, even now in the midst of (laughs) developing this answer to your question I, I think back then uh, there was an excitement uh, and anticipation uh, in the pursuit of poetry. Uh, I literally remember the transition of 
feeling that I was one who wrote poems and then I was a poet. The two are totally different. That meant has mellowed but not at all dissipated. If anything, it has become enriched in the knowledge that there is so much to be offered as well as pursued through poetry. Mm -hmm. There are understandings to come to. There are bridges to be built. There are conversations that will connect generations, cultures, nations even, through poetry. And these are reflections that I could not have even begun begun to contemplate at the beginning of my journey as a poet. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? That was a heavy question there, Dr. Michael. Yes. Um, followed by an equally heavy answer by Sister Joy. I, w- I was holding my place because I wanted the ladies who had actually gone to London to give them an opportunity to speak or say something. And specifically, since I was not one of the ones on my way to London, but as you can tell from my, my voice as bridge poem, I'm, I'm one who travels. You know, I've been a lot of places in the world, and it has educated me, like Sister Joy was saying earlier, about the fact that the histories of the world are so much older than ours. Mm-hmm. But I do find that where I go, I see the same I see a lot of the same um, situations. I see poverty. I see the rich versus the poor. I see um, that whole thing, the color caste system, you know. um, And uh, it's a bit frustrating, but it's also a bit enlightening, you know, because some of the things I've seen, some of the countries I've been to, South Africa in particular, um, even the first time I went to um, Bahamas, to walk into a black bank and see that not not only was the security guard black, but all the tellers was black and the president was black and the vice president was black. And was like, what? <laughs> okay, this is real. All right. So my travels have helped me understand some things, man. And I've been writing poetry for the longest time. I came into poetry wanting to be a songwriter, listening to Motown, Smokey Robinson, and um, Holland Doja Holland, and you know. So I, I've always been that guy. How it's changed for me is um, the quality of what I write. To, to do, go back and do the history, to look at the Langston Hughes, and then compare Langston Hughes to Gil Scott Heron, and somewhere in there, I'm trying to find my own space. And I think in twenty, I think in the, in the time I've been writing, I have found that, and it's multifaceted. So I embrace that, and I embrace it. Like Joy said something about writing a poem and being a poet. I remember the time when I first said, I am a poet. It denotes such a responsibility, you know, and I have to find out what that means for me because I do believe, like it's been said before, that my duty is to tell the truth. My duty is to expose information. Uh, My duty is to uplift. My duty is to enlighten. So I'm obedient to that because in the beginning there was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And it was nothing that was not made that was not made by word. And when God said, I gave you the ability to take this thing that I created this whole creation with, to mold it, to shape it, to form it, it's an awesome responsibility. 
And as you can, as you heard from these ladies' writings, oh my God, from Carolyn's writings, yeah. Carolyn and Angela's writings, and and and, and, and Lady Di coming in with the love, and Sister Joyce's writings, it's like, man, they, we are handling this daggone gift we've been given now, and that's why it's <laughs> such a profound thing for me to say that I am a member of Collective Voices. Well, that's beautiful. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. I would like to add. This yes. is Angela Wilson-Turnbull. Hello, Angela. Uh, yes. Again, um, you know, an audience of 2,000 people, standing ovation. Like, I, I don't remember us ever receiving that level of accolades and validation uh, as a professional uh, writer and poet and as our group. And it was, it was, it was just really deeply touched. And... You know, from that, there was, you know, such expansive work that occurred as a result. You know, we were working um, with Dolores Kendrick, D.C. Port Laurie at the time, E. Ethelbert Miller, uh, Sweet Honey in the Rock, Denise Johnson, J. California Cooper, A.B. Spellman, uh, Nikki Giovanni, Maya Angelou, Susan Taylor, Sonia Sanchez, Mary Baraka, Haki Matabudi. Uh, Mari Evans and uh, Carolyn and I would go to Chicago State University uh, every year and we did programs with Gwendolyn Brooks. Like it just, uh, it catapulted things and uh, we expanded in many different areas. And I even personally, you know, started working, doing work internationally um, in Ghana, in the Mediterranean, Barcelona, Rome, Athens. Ephesus, Ishmir, Istanbul, Malta, Asia Minor, and at the Musée de Louvre in Paris, France. And just, you know, like the work at a, at a, more seriously and on a global level. Mm-hmm. And, you know, moved into publishing and publication and supporting other writers in doing the same thing. So it was a, it was a tremendous um, validation and um, a very close community that um, afforded, you know, just opportunities that were otherwise not not imagined. So I just want to say thank you for the question. Wow. You know, I was thinking before we go on, is that who thought 25 years ago that we would have had a black president? Anybody? <laughs> We convened a watch party that night and we would just, uh, I can't even describe to you the excitement and it was just overwhelming. And for many of us just could not even ever have imagined it. No. At that time, but, but, you know. Now, we may never have another one, but no, no one could imagine. Hey, how about, how about that? Yeah, yeah, I hear you. Right. I hear you. What was so exciting, I had, this is Angela again. Yes. I had the privilege of being a senior advisor during both of President Obama, his administrations, um, helping to shape the president's management agenda, you know, leading initiatives that the administration would marshal over, you know, both terms of his presidency. So it was quite an extraordinary 
um, experience meetings at the White House, at the old executive office buildings every week, and working with senior leaders across the executive branch, private and public sector, academia, and uh, we made miracles happen. People have, people have no idea the level of resistance and the uh, tenacity that it took to move forth um, all of the initiatives that the administration sought to implement. So it was a tremendous honor. Wow. Oh, we had an idea. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we knew. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Sister Joy, please share more. <laughs> okay, I will. I will. I, I'd like to dovetail on that uh, comment just there. There are so many that had done uh, the incredibly oh. unexpected with our former president, uh, mm-hmm. which is, most of us claim as president for life, of course. Uh, president mm-hmm. Obama just uh, created a whole new landscape for this nation. Uh, yeah. And one of the things that several of us in Collective Voices did was to uh, create an organization called Poets and Artists for Obama. And we labored uh, both here in the DMV but also in Baltimore and raised several thousand dollars for his campaign. So we, <laughs> we are oh. activist poets as well as poets uh, with a message. Uh, and these are things that uh, when we see a need, we will step up to the plate and, and serve as best we can. And uh, there are many arenas and platforms through which service can be had. So I was uh, very honored to be a part of Poets and Artists for Obama. Very nice. My, my, my poem that I'd like to, my final poem that I'd like to offer is titled um, Reflections of a Black Mother. And um, I reflect on life before I begin the poem. I reflect on life uh, and the issues of life uh, both as a woman, uh, as a once, well, actually twice, uh, wife, uh, mother, a poet, ministry poetry, uh, as a truth teller, but most significantly, most significantly, uh, I pursue life as a black mother. Mirrors aren't designed to reflect what's inside. At best, they display superficial layers, loveliness, or ugliness, cropped, propped, sometimes photoshopped, images exposed for those we sometimes naively believe we should emulate. All the while, internalized blemishes reflecting beyond what mere silver nitrate can capture. Gnarled and corroded viscera cannot reflect refined and cultivated self-hate rising from insidiously implanted projections, creating a legacy where even children's images no longer reflect innocence. So deep and inescapable is the pain that esteem and pride are erased and replaced with rage. This is the shadowy abyss in which too many of our children are raised, not one of nurture and love, but survival through rival, challenge, and conquest, creating a legacy where being best seems to 
no matter what, justify the means. Where acquisition of bright, shiny things is life's ultimate reward. Although some may not wish to admit it, too often this is the reflection seen in America's mirror. Unless this legacy ends, blemishes will fester in America's soul until the day she implodes. Wow. You know, this is Women's History Month. But I believe every day, <laughs> every day is Women's Day, <laughs> Women's Day, because without you, there'd be no us. That's right. There you go. Well, that's, <laughs> that's why I chose to close out my final yeah, right. as a black mother. Very nice. All right. All right. I like that. All right. Lady Di, you're on the stage. I'm sorry. I had muted myself. That's okay. I decided to do another love poem, of course. Mm -hmm. Love and comfort you bring me. It's one of the last poems that I wrote during the Christmas holidays past. Basking, basking in sunshine of my love everlasting. Every day you wake Please know I love you. I love you with overflowing joy in my heart. You have a lovely, tantalizing charm, tenderly pulls me automatically in your arms, thrills me with phenomenal sensations, in pit of my core forevermore. Comforts my soul being, lifts my spirits to higher heights. I've grown accustomed to being on my own when I'm not with you. You are my darling, darling babe, my sugar, my honey, my love. Your smile triggers my smile. Your laughter makes me happy and makes me feel oh so wonderful. It does not matter where I am, what I do, just as long as I am with you. Walking in the park, laying on sandy beach, watching movies, listening to music, standing on balcony watching sunset or peering at full moon, watching the stars bring added luster to tranquil skies. Feeling like stars are shining just for us. You bring me comfort. You bring me love. Thank you. Love is important. (laughs) Can't underestimate that enough. Whatever kind of love it is. So important. All right. All right. I think it's Carolyn's turn, I believe. Thank you. Um, this poem is entitled Sunday Dinner's Kitchen Growing Up. Long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> Chicken frying and bacon fat, 
string beans boiling in ham water, steam-furred windows wearing yellow ruffled skirts, thick smells of cinnamon nutmeg and brown sugared butter floating inside hallways baked apple breeze. Daddy's made-from-scratch yeast rolls. Mama didn't do bread. On their second rise, kicking from under hand-bleached dish towels, waiting for oven's kiss to brown. Growing up, the heat in Sunday dinner's kitchen walled me a chamber, still time's hands. Window panes smiled back, held me tight in moments Opeg's kin. There was nothing to feel but safe. Outside, a forlorn wind flapped grown-up voices hashing an unpaid mortgage, no promise of work in summer. Thin the air to cold. Wow. <laughs> you know, Carolyn, it reminds me of the poem that I, <laughs> that I wrote some years ago. And the title is, is about my daddy. Throw me another biscuit around the corner, if you please. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> and it right. would take place on, on Sunday mornings at breakfast. He wanted us to throw him another biscuit. <laughs> oh, wow, okay. so thank you. All right, I hear that. All right. All right, Bernardo. (laughs) Bernardo Taylor, you're on the stage. Yes, sir. I was going to close with big things, man, but y'all have done something to me. And um, so I'm just going to do this one. It's called Born to Lead. Born on an island where storms peruse, born black without the blues. An old soul come for under the sun there is nothing new. So get your clues together for the measurement of a man, a temperament of leadership for what does he stand. Add the isosceles to a circle of one and put it in parentheses because we still are not done. Subtract the blackness that is backwards. Add black and white to reach a sum, a melting pot creation called American. If you are incensed at his presence, You can then erase the hype, but you also have got to let go of old stereotypes. Hmm. A child walking among beggars, among lepers, among snakes, learning human lessons so he would know what it takes to make connections in all directions of the human equation. Can't you see that he was born to lead a nation? A child who has spent in places sent to implement a start of how to see, to be, the key to open up the heart. Return to paradise to learn the wisdom of the ages, to mix with youth to find the truth, taught differently in places. The mainland beckoned brand new lessons, tests, and revelations, nourished and encouraged to revere true education. Information organized people information. Integrity with intelligence in an intimate integration. From the golden state to the empire state, a young man what span to appreciate. 
then to the heartland, the center, the street. He moved to the people, a destiny to me. Questions of consciousness, consequence. Can you find the answers and confidence to stand? Strong upon principle, sure in your purpose, then calmly be bold as it comes to the surface. Brought hope to broken-hearted souls beset in devastation. For such a time as this decreed, born to lead a nation. He once galvanized this country like we've seldom seen before. His confidence and vision had transitioned hatred's door. We entered in because of him a land of so much more. Possibility of civility, which so many hungered for. A more perfect union, he the epitome of this. In the union of his parents, how he came to exist. The perfect blend of black and white and rich and poor together. Not desolate or destitute, nor heaped in earthly treasures. Those cloaked in greed resisted his lead. Quite different was their measure. Have you seen the pure sincerity that is glowing in his eyes? How he listens, pauses, ponders before he gives replies? Weighing compromise, conditions, competition, contradiction, decisions framed in wisdom, consideration, poise, precision, the coolness of clarity, the calmness of cool, an engaging enigma, he is nobody's fool. A quick study of subjects, the man is well-schooled, unafraid to give praise or give credit where it's due, prepared through his lineage to stand tall in this station, consistent development and devotion, dedication. Can't you see, can't you see he was born to lead a nation? Yet know the world raised him, and there are those who praise him. Can we simply embrace him as one sent from our creator who was born to lead, born to lead? He was born to lead a nation. <laughs> Thank you. You know, you remind me of of, uh, <laughs> of a black Paul Revere. You're telling the world <laughs> that we're coming, that we're here. <laughs> that, was grand, that, that was great. Yeah, I'm glad you chose a different from from the other one. That was phenomenal. Yes, yes. Miss <laughs> Turnbull, Miss Angela Wilson Turnbull, bring us home. Bring us home. Yes, thank you so much for this incredible evening. Um, this last piece I'd like to share with you all, um, I'd like to dedicate to the children, Conco Village, near Corfurijua in Ghana. Uh, Queen Mother Juanita Britton, also known as Busy Bee, I traveled with her and a delegation from Leap for Ghana. Uh, we were sponsored by the U.S. Embassy, and I was able to teach over 250 children there where I really experienced the miracle of God in those children. And um, a teacher there, Kwame Emanuel, um, they're purchasing land and building a school in my name, and he, he named his baby girl after me, and this week is her third birthday. And so I'd like to dedicate this to her. And this piece um, I wrote, many of you have heard in recent um, news coverage of the 
the little one pulled from the rubble over the seas. This is for baby Aya. A sign from God. Miracle. Between Syria and Turkey, God enfolds, nestles the child in each of us. As he pulls the newborn from mother's womb, as she is pinned between hundreds of pounds of concrete, like all our woes pressed down. This resilient babe was christened in the trembles of the earth. Her mom in deep prayer to carry her baby forth, even if her life is given in place for her child. This is her sole wish to God. The babe was born as a divine light connecting all of us to illuminate our strength and resilience of all circumstances that attempt to crush us. Cease not, for we are God's supernatural children doing his work in the world without pause. Thank you. Doing his work in the world, good people, without pause. Your voice really takes takes me on a journey. Well, we've come to the end of this program. (laughs) Any final words from anyone? It's been 25 years since London. Any final comments before we close from anyone? Well, this is Lady Di, Mm -hmm. and I just want to say thank you so much for this opportunity and reflecting back on the wonders of going to London for the first time. Mm -hmm. And And coming back to the United States, we were recognized more and given more opportunities just because we had gone abroad. And I think that 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 is a general consensus for for all of us. And like many have done, still doing, traveling. My my professor Gil Scott Heron said do something, go somewhere, read something, and you'll have something to share. Well, I'm just thankful for this opportunity today. Very nice. Thank you. My collective voice. All right. Collective voice. Yes. Yes. This is the joy, and I want to echo that uh, just a resounding thank you for this opportunity to uh, share our poetry. And I'd also, given that this is the 25th anniversary of the uh, trip to London, I'd like to publicly thank Angela for the opportunity that evolved from her experience and uh, her efforts to bring us to London. Uh, It was quite an extraordinary experience, and so much has happened since that time. Um, My current journey as Poet Laureate of Prince George's County is one that I think has definitely been impacted by that I won't say launching point because we had been together for a couple of years before uh, the trip to London, but that was 
unequivocally a significant vantage point for the group. So thank you, uh, Angela, and thank you, Dr. Ingram. All right, all right. Anyone else before we close? Yes. Yeah, I really appreciate that. Thank you, Dr. Ingram. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, thank you, Dr. Ingram. Um, I really appreciate the acknowledgement, Joy. It was a yeoman's effort. You know, there there was a lot of negotiation. There was a lot of hard work. There was a lot of uh, with, you know, if you can imagine, um, you know, dealing with publicists and the coordinators and, uh, you know, it, it required us to, as I mentioned before, do a professional press kit and a lot of other things uh, we had to, you know, uh, move through some significant hoops and politics to bring it all together. And um, I, I so wish, like if anyone ever hears this, if there were, you know, if there was a video recording of our performance, if, you know, uh, there's someone out in the world that, you know, has something <laughs> from those, you know, 25 years ago, you know, we're looking to do a public performance in the nation's capital to commemorate our 25 years um, in London. And it would be extraordinary, you know, to be able to do that this year as, as an anniversary event. And um, yeah, there, you know, there are resources available for artists and I think it would be fabulous to collaborate and partner with someone who would like uh, to host or support us and right. compensate these amazing sisters, including our sister, Billy Okira, who um, we miss. And she was very much a part of our trip, and I just want to lift her name up. Uh, yes. She's an incredible inspiration. And um, yes. a lot of love. I'm just so grateful. Thank you. All right. Anyone else before we close? <laughs> We've got just a couple of minutes just here. want to thank you for hosting this show and bringing us here and, 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 and presenting us on your radio blog. I mean, it's, we're very grateful for that, to share our words and our works, and that you were interested in doing so. So thank you. Well, all right. Thank, thank you. you once again. Yes. Thank you once again for the wonderful you. opportunity. All right. All right. I appreciate it. Thank you for facilitating. Tell uh, Angela that uh, from what I've heard of you tonight, being Women's History Month, you are an amazing woman. We can talk about that offline. All right. Well, I want to thank everybody. (laughs) I want to thank everybody. This has been phenomenal. Phenomenally wonderful. Um, <laughs> I want to again thank you. I don't know what to say other than you are a fantastic, amazing group of people, of poets. Your words, in my mind, transcend space and time, good people. They take you back, they bring you forward, they, they move you. Wow. I agree. Collective forces. Collective forces. Thank you. <laughs> I said Thank you were you. legendary. I didn't lie. <laughs> All right, then. Well, I want to thank you. I want to thank our listening audience. All right. I want to thank our listening audience. Wow. And as I thank share you. with you, 
some yes, every time we're together, let poetry ring somewhere throughout the land. Good night, everyone. Thank you. Good night. Good night. Good night. Thank you so much for the night. All right. Good night. Good night. All right. All right. Yes. Quintessential Listening Poetry Online Radio is available on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. You can also check out the website at qlpor.com.